Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking chemistry, give a little update on what we've learned for next year. Our spotlight will take a look at land values and how influencers might be <clears throat> taking over that market. Ag History Minute, Alfred Reeder, the man who helped develop Hardy Zones. Our cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events. We'll wrap things up with a field good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. All right. Well, it's not really getting cold. I mean, we had one one or two really cold days, but for this time of year, we're kind of on the warmer side. So, hello, El Nino. El Nino. El Nino. I had 57 in my truck on Friday, like six days ago, five days ago. Yeah, Didn't I was, quite hit 60, hmm. but it was 57. I was in western Minnesota last Thursday, and it was sorry to hear like that. 50 yeah, degrees. Sorry. There was a little bit of ice in the lake that was near where the conference was, but... Reading Brainerd? Uh, southwest of Brainerd, actually. That's a long ways up there. We Alexandria. A, yeah. I had a conference over that way a handful of years ago. That's a long ways over there. You get to the cities and then you got to you go through St. Cloud, Matt? We did. St. Cloud, Minnesota. I was hoping to get to Fargo <laughs> and see if things were really that crazy over there, but we didn't make it that far. Don't, good, you, don't you know? Good conference? Good. No. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a good conference. So their soil health conference is going on at the same time our Wisconsin soil health conference is going on. Oh. So it was kind of a weird. Ooh. So there were two actually two different soil health conferences going on within like I think they were a day different. Like one started a day earlier. These um, soil health people hmm. should like com- communicate here and not do that to you. Well, right. That was the kind of the discussion of like Minnesota. I think was one of the earlier ones to have this type of conference, and they're like. Yeah, it used to be when we did this, we were the only ones. Now there's like three this week, and it was kind of kind of crazy because you, then you're competing for speakers. And I, I know the one guy that was at Wisconsin was in Minnesota at the other conference and then came across. So Ooh. when we looked to, I think Minnesota had two soil health conferences. That's what I, one what in, I just said. Thanks but, for but listening. But also we had like... <laughs> They have three soil health conferences at once as well. Right, and like, re- regionally I, speaking, I, very close to get like... Right, right. Sorry, w- one, I, I thought you meant just Wisconsin, Minnesota. I'm saying even they didn't no, have their yeah. stuff together. Yeah, no, is, the, there was one in Mankato, the one in Alexandria that I was at, and then the one in the Dells here in Wisconsin. Yeah. So so why did you pick Alexandria and not... Because I was speaking, ah, not, not he was just attending. To, Were you to the, spoke there, yes. He was speaking? Yes. I was, yes I Were you voluntold? Uh, I was asked. I was not voluntold. Okay. But read the keynote. Yes. Sweet. <laughs> sure. No. Uh just talked about interceding and some of the work we've done on that. So No, it was interesting. It was different. It's always interesting to go to another state I, and see what their opinions and stuff are. And um obviously so the talk I gave was on interceding and corn silage specifically. Sure. And they do have dairies over there, but it's not as prevalent as it right. is here, so um, in that way, it was a little different crowd, but it was still still good to get, um, you know, feedback and, and talk. Like, <clears throat> for us, V2 to V4 is the window, and in Minnesota, they consider that almost too early at V2, 
because they're planting windows tend to be just a little bit in this area that we were in anyway on the earlier side so they're used to doing it more like v4 like tail end of that or later so that was kind of interesting to see the differences but yeah so you technically were an expert because you were 100 miles from home right <laughs> right exactly sweet no one there to question did you get any questions yeah we, we got a few sure. questions yeah, yeah. um yeah. It wasn't um, wasn't a huge crowd because, like I said, dairy isn't as big. But I, I think we had like probably between twenty and thirty people in in our in particular a, in session a, in the so, breakout. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Worth your while. Yeah. No, like I said, it was interesting to just get a little back and forth and and learn more about what they do over there. So, was there a trade show at all? Yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of joked with. Um, so I was there with Jamie Patton from NRCS and. Just like, yeah, this looks like the same people that show up to the Wisconsin conference. Like, wonder if they're just different sure employees. How they, like, they sent to, yeah, right. Because, <clears throat> yeah, Precision Planting was there. Um, Mosaic was one of the sponsors for the Minnesota one. Um, I'm trying to think who else was there. I didn't really spend a lot of time in the trade show part, but uh, yeah, they had a few different, uh, I think. <clears throat> Sponsors there, we heard from the Minnesota, like, basically, that I don't think it was their ag secretary, but, like, the next guy down was the keynote the first day, and that was interesting hearing their, uh, kind of their overview of agriculture, and they're dealing with the whole solar farm thing there, too, and that was uh, actually borderline heated moment after that guy spoke, like, What's going to happen if these go out? Like you got all these concrete pillars buried in the in the ground. Like, how are we going to reclaim this for agriculture or whatever? If if and when these things shut down, and it's like, well, he had like a half answer, and then was declined to answer the part of the question. And so yeah, it was interesting. Getting political over there, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those will be heated though. Especially, we're just starting it out with. Well, look what's at just coming the little the, bit of heat that you know the windmills bring, right? When you kind of right, and that roll. doesn't. I mean, it, you get a bigger driveway <laughs> if you're <laughs> around your egg land, but it doesn't take out egg no. land. Right, like they don't put solar panels. They do. put windmills every like it doesn't cover the entire field. Yeah, you can still farm around them. And there's ideas out there of how to farm around solar panels like yep. grazing and things if, but that's if you're looking for goat meat yeah, sure. right that's not yeah we're we're planting solar panels every year so right. of course we're going to compete we're in the same we're competing for the same thing yeah i don't know it's it was interesting um to see yeah the same same thing being replayed in in a different area and um, but yeah, overall, it, it seemed like a pretty good conference they had. I think just right around two hundred people total there, yeah, and mostly farmers. Like there were sure. some uh, academics and industry. Whatnot. Then it wasn't as many mm-hmm. industry people. It was more towards not farmers. that I noticed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. O- outside the trade show, obviously there were some folks there, but yeah. yeah. So they got their target audience then. Yeah. And they see, yeah, the farmers there were asking questions. I said it in a financial one. So um, Paul, 
actually. I think I'm going to blame him. Blanking on his last name now. From D- UW? From uh, Compere Financial. He's oh. down like <clears throat> toward Madison, Sun Prairie area. Paul Mitchell's the UW guy. Yep. And this guy was from Compere. Got it. Um, he gave a talk on like financial literacy and stuff. And that was interesting to see in um, the farmer's take on that. And what one guy, you always get that one guy <clears throat> that went off on like government money and how is the government propping up the financial institutions Ooh. when farmers can't pay their loans and all this stuff. But, um, but no, he had... We got Paul Dittman or Paul Coles? Dittman. Dittman. Yep, it was Paul Dittman. He, uh, he was a good speaker. He, he talked about um, how to you know look at balance sheets and consider purchases and all that kind of stuff. So it was good financial literacy information for farms. Says, says this Paul Dittman was a... Egg agent for he was yep. for eleven years, so yes, that would make sense to be a good speaker when you are an egg agent. But yeah, and then uh, yeah, so that was kind of the the Minnesota tour. So you guys ready to talk some chemistry? To do it. All right, today, Matt, we got some uh, chemistry updates. So going into next year, uh, we talked to kind of the chem reps and they give us kind of the spiel for what they got going on, what's coming on new down the pipeline, maybe some things to watch out, all that kind of stuff. Oh, are we, we're getting a pipeline now? Yes. People don't always like those. We need a, actually for the chemistry part, we need a bigger pipeline. (laughs) How how big is it? Like it's not very big. No, the pipeline is two inches. We need more options. If we get, yes, really not much more than a hose. Yeah. Right. Right. We get a garden hose. <laughs> yeah. So no, we're starting into chemistry class here again and talking. We're not going to get that specific into the chem, but we'll talk about different herbicides and different options. And one big thing, especially that we talked about in this meeting, was that poor weed control in 2023 is going to lead to poor weed control in 2024. So Or more challenges in correct. 2024. Correct. So especially last year, grass control was harder in a dry year. So watching out for that this coming year, and more so to say is is if we don't think ahead into 2024, plan it out, plan out herbicides, change modes of actions if something didn't work, or kind of strategize around that, I think we're going to have problems. So that is a good point of we we think like, oh, yeah, these effects of – the drought and the long lasting, one of them is going to be in this weed control thing for the following year. So one interesting guy who always is a good speaker, Rod Regal Worley of the UW, and he brought up a study done that basically kind of told us what we kind of knew, but really got in the details that basically said we need five to 10 centimeters of rain, which whoa, is two. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh what? Yes, which is two inches. Oh, okay. So two inches of rain for residual herbicides to work. And we've always known which, you know, the activation and some are different. But in general, it that key was that once it hit two, it seemed like no matter the residual, that was kind of that special number. That'll and encompass all the herbicides then. And not, no, too. but in, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, but yes, it's not, it's not a... You know, there's ones that need less. I wouldn't say in general there's any that need more. That's that was that. my point, so Todd. Yes, is yes, once you get that much, you yes. should be in the clear that everything that we're using is going to be good to go. Right. 
Obviously, some will, will kick in or work sooner, you know, an inch or less, depending on its chemistry makeup. But at this point, you hit two, you're, you're good you're to go. pretty much good. So by European uh, rain gauge. So you, know, so you, when you only hit need that five, ten yeah, in your five or ten centimeters. Whew, blow my mind here, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rodrigo continues to have research on cover crops, especially rye and their weed control effects. So not, you know, aside from other things, like probably what you were just talking about at your conference, Matt, with the, with soil health and different things with that. But this one, uh, one of the interesting things that he's got research on is the delayed water hemp emergence with using cover crop rye. And then the other big part was fewer emerging water hemp. So I thought that was extremely interesting too. And he's still unsure whether the research shows if they're germinating or dying or if they're just not even germinating or what are they doing they don't quite exactly know but they do have statistical research that fewer are are there so you know basically it's got some herbicidal properties there to kind of hold hold back the ride just convinces them that the sun is the opposite way they're no no, go that way go to china just quit i'm just just go down yeah Yeah. so much better so then we'll get into more of the the depressing part, I guess. Well, of, before you get too yeah, far. Yeah, sorry, keep he, going. If I remember right, too, he talked about, like, obviously this is a good thing, right? The rye holds back the water hamper, delays it, or it germinates and then dies, whatever. They're trying to figure that out. But I remember him also talking a little bit about, um, you know, sunlight degradation and just the rye residue tying up some of the herbicides, too. So Correct. Kind of keeping that in mind, and I think, you know, two, three years ago when we first started with this pretty heavy, we weren't quite thinking about that. Like maybe all that chemistry isn't getting to the soil and doing what it's supposed to do because the rye's in the way or it gets it gets stuck on the rye and then the, the sunlight hits it. So, well, and like you said, too, is the rye is, you might think the herbicide's doing a lot, but it's probably actually just your rye right. potentially doing it and your herbicide isn't maybe as active as you'd think. So, yes, finding ways to... And would you agree with this bill? Delaying potentially yeah. your hundred percent herbicide. herbicide and doing a you know a, an early post application that, that you know is coming with some rain and some you some know, of those up. fields that you know we let grow because it was wet and we're like okay we're gonna let this grow and then it stopped raining and we're like crap we should have killed it like two weeks you know prior or whatever those yeah we just killed and we didn't do any residual and we got you know well into June before we did that residual because oh, it stopped raining. So what residual wasn't well, going right. to work anyway. Right. But at the same point, then we got more season-long control, better control than maybe. And even at the the conference I was at, one of the things I sat in was planting green and the idea of uh, how the, the rye affects the corn and like timing of that but also the effect it has on it so what they found was the further away you can get the rye from the corn plant the better the corn plant's going to do early sure so that same reasoning with weeds is that the closer there's the rye it's going to hold it back which is why we can wait longer for that post yep yeah so they were talking about like inner like almost interceding the cover crop rye like 
not interceding, but leaving strips. Like so, yeah. Basically, what they found in their research was strip till, or um, I know there's a guy Greg Netikoven was doing the where you would just plant your eye and leave a gap for yeah. the right. So that that was the best bio strips or yeah. one of the, whatever we're calling these exactly. Yeah, yes. there's in North Dakota they do the bio till or whatever yeah. they call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's that gives you the the best option for corn survival. But you know the same thing probably pertains to the weed side of things. That talk wasn't specifically about weeds, but obviously if it's holding back corn, it's holding back other yeah. plants too. Yep. So sorry, Todd. Yeah, no, I, that as was we good. digress, that, that was good to kind of finalize because that now we're going to get into the true sort of herbicides. What's what's new? And unfortunately, there's technically not a lot of new modes of action. Technically, there's no mood, no moods of a, no new moods. Yep, no, there's no moods either. We no could mood have it. some moods of action. No, we need some moods of action. <laughs> some booze of action. Ooh, that'd be better yet. So no. New modes of action. There is a new mo- mode of action that's going to be like come like being registered, but it's not out yet. So we'll talk about that one at the end. But there's some new premixes, some new things on labels as far as changes go that we can spray these products maybe a little differently. So something that'll be out of this list, you'll be like, well, we had that already, and it, we were, on some of we these were making our own. Uh, yeah, well, now no, they have it pre-mixed, some of saying? that, but I'm saying even some of these, like we had already, they just changed. There's a few label updates. Maybe oh, sure, that that we way. can spray it longer or something like that. So um, we'll start with a new one from Syngenta called Storin 3.2ZC. And it's a, like I said, new Syngenta premix, And it's got four actives without atrazine. So kind of that... Um, sort of in that Acheron realm. Yep. And it's going to be a pre or post up to V8 in field corn and sweet corn, but only pre-emerge in sweet corn. And typical use rate is 2.1 to 2.4 quarts per acre. So it's kind of a new exciting herbicide that way that has some potential for us. So it's dual Callisto, Zidua, and got the bicyclopyrone. Right, which is a cool premix to have Zidua yeah. in there. And by, So it's basically Acheron GT. No, because yeah. they wouldn't have the Roundup part. Right. Acheron without the Roundup. Acheron, Acheron without the atrazine. <laughs> so Acheron Flexi. Zidua. Yes, there you go. Thank you. It's Acheron Flexi. Acheron Flexi yeah. with Zidua. Nice. Is, the, is sort of the... Um, the 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 newer premix, so kind of an exciting new one that that we'll have to um, look for and and see what it does. And and exciting new one that way because we we've used Acheron, we know we I mean we've used Lumax ahead of that, then that kind of morphed into Acheron. So this is kind of a new new one morphing from Acheron. So next one is uh, Trivolt. Uh, Trivolt is a Bayer product. And I believe the change here was it was more for pre. Now it can be used up to V2 in corn. And the other part is it's hopefully going to be registered for other Wisconsin counties coming up in 24 or 25. Yeah, it was mostly southern Wisconsin. So it's mostly southern Wisconsin and and south. So that might be an odd one, too, where some of our listeners like would have never heard of Trivolt, and that's why, because it may not be registered. Oh, I beg to differ. 
Yes. You've, their ad campaign. Oh, yeah. You've they probably are, heard of Trivolt. Yes. This no, is, you're right about that. You're probably that. just like, I can't use it because I keep asking everybody, like, hey, this Trivolt I'm seeing. Like, no, that's not for you. This is the balance product. It's the, right. it's Isoxaflutol and then Corvus and the old Define, which I can't remember if Isoxaflutol. And I think the excessive Flutol is what gives us the restrictions. So, yeah, it's the, the, hopefully, like I said, it can be registered for more years, more people get used to using where they are using it. It seems like people do like it and it's, and it's working. So, um, kind of a new, newer, exciting herbicide that way. Yes. Todd, I suck flutol's balance. Balance. Okay. And that's, they're worried about groundwater contamination. So basically, when it was registered, it was very limited in the state because of the central sands, and they really didn't push it to expand it into more areas. It's a really good herbicide, but just never used much in Wisconsin. So the next one is one we've had around, um, but they're kind of changing the premix of it. Liberty, 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 liberty. Ultra. <laughs> Ultra. I like that, man. <laughs> you just made the rank. That'll just be that for 30 seconds. Liberty, liberty. <laughs> liberty, liberty. Put your so mustache yes. on sideways. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Look, like, there's they, a bee boo. Like, <laughs> like, get Matt and just an ostrich <laughs> and put a mustache on Matt. So he's just like that. Oh, Can I ride the ostrich? You, yeah, you, sh- you need to. I think that's. It's part of killing the weeds. I, I feel like it's a you coming out of the the sun. You know, you think it's a horse galloping, but then it's just yeah, me riding yeah, an ostrich. Yes. Shit. Okay, maybe we need to find a Doug, but it's spelled like D U G, and an <laughs> ostrich, so it's not the Doug and the Limu Emu thing. So yes, New Liberty Ultra, and it's um, new from B B A S F, and basically the difference here is it contains more of L glufonosate which is a more active isomer. So when we have like S-metulachlor, that's the more active isomer in dual. And, you know, when you get like a parallel that doesn't have, that's not, that's just metulachlor. So, so this would be a similar thing in the Liberty world that some of these isomers in the chemistry world, so, you know, you got that mirror image of that chemical and whatever, for some reason, one of the mirror images works better than the other one. I didn't know that Liberty was one of these. Maybe they're all like that, and they just got to find a way to, you know, isolate the more active ones. So this has lower use rates. So instead of going the quart rate or 32 ounces, we're able to spray 24 ounces of this. So expected to be um, available in 2024 pending EPA approval. So hopefully this one could be a really, really good one. Just it was nice being with, with Liberty. You just go a quart of that and a quart of Roundup. But now with some of the newer roundups, the um, with some of the newer roundups, the those use rates are lower. So maybe you could go twenty four ounces and twenty four ounces of both now on some of these rates. But yeah, it was just the um, a new thing from from BSF. That's good. Any do you are you guys using a lot more Liberty this coming year? In general, the price is down, so kind of going back to using more Liberty this year. I think we're gonna, yeah, yeah. With just the 
limited control we had and with some of the list stuff maybe this would be another just another tool yeah yeah Yeah, it's not an untapped market but it's a like you said a low use market where it gives us options right right so good let's move next into another one that's got a a good uh intro intro music Feel the need, the need for speed. So we've talked about this one enough, enough but a lot. I I haven't even used it yet, or have have you used it at all, Bill, or not? No, no. So Maverick, in the official name of Maverick, is Maverick two point zero four SC, and basically it has a wider window now. So we've had it, and it's a Zidua Premix, and this one now can go up to 18-inch tall corn. Uh, the the kind of the the big sort of thing this one is known for is its low use rates for a premix, which is 14 to 32 fluid ounces. So that is, I mean, when we're talking quartz, right? In our harness products, in our acetochlores, it's in quartz. In our duels, it's in pints. Um, and like you said, Acuron and a lot of those are in quartz where this one is in ounces. So just the kind of a, a product. And it can be take mixed with atrazine and some other products to maybe bring you more complete control that way. So, yeah, kind of a kind of one that's been around. And I know there's a lot of use for this one. I, I don't probably see as many. When you're talking commercials, it is probably like ads for Trival and then probably Acuron next. Yep. And then I'll see Maverick once in a while yep. here and there in some ads ads and things and then it's all the class action lawsuits after that <laughs> yes yeah the free advertising for roundup and yeah <clears throat> paraquat <laughs> right right if you have been injured or and the boy scouts throw them in for good measure and Camp Lejeune and Camp Lejeune, Camp Lejeune. Camp Lejeune. I haven't seen those lately. no those that must have been settled or something because you're right went down All right, so we'll have to leave the danger zone, but we'll talk next about Cairo from Corteva, which is an encapsulated formulation to provide more residual control. So it's a mix of acetochlor, topremazone, and clopyrrolid, and basically it should be registered and available for 2024. So here's another sort of new premix uh, for kind of for field corn and... Um, so clopyrrolid is Stinger, and that's kind of another one that's in Resicor. And some other ones, Acetochlor is a big one, you know, obviously Harness. Right, Warrant, Harness. Yeah. So Topemrazone is, a, I believe, a PPO bill. Do you remember the Impact, details? Yeah. That one, yeah. Yes, you're right, Matt. So Impact. So, again, a, a kind of a newer premix that... Kind of can tank mix with Roundup or Atrazine to broaden the control. So one idea might be post, where you throw in, you know, late post, you throw in Roundup. Early post before the 11 inches, you throw in the Atrazine potentially. Um, but kind of a, a new, and I believe this is a novel premix. I don't know anywhere where these three would would be mixed together. So kind of a neat new one. Next one is Reviton from Helm Crop Solutions. 
And so Revitan is a newer burndown herbicide. And basically now kind of has a bigger window or, or not as big of a window as you have to wait seven days to plant soybeans if you're using the two to three ounce rate. And then it's kind of four months for other crops, but it's got like a, um, any, sorry, excuse me, corn and wheat can be planted immediately after. So this is a burn down kind of in your no-till solutions, been a really good burn down for no-till. Yeah. If they've you, been pimping this at the national no-till was conference. It? Okay. It's pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. Todd, you use this, right? I've used it. Yeah, I think and I did a little bit this spring, too, on just Roundup Reviton on on the rye, and it worked fast. Right. So it's, I had a farmer introduce me to this one, like, right out of the gate, because he's like, have you heard of this? I sprayed some, and I'm like, I actually haven't. And we saw it, and I was, like you say, just the quickness of the kill was immediately like, hey, this is a really neat kind of burn down. It. It's similar to Sharpen. So if we know the kind of Insidua Pro, you have Sharpen in there to kind of have some burn. So this one has a lot of similarities to that. So if you're trying to maybe do a, a pre-mix to get to that, um, you could potentially use it in that way. So maybe maybe not as active on certain weeds like a mare's tail, but for us it's very active on a lot like your chickweeds and... Uh, dandelions it's it's pretty works pretty good to help in kind of in tandem with a roundup or something else so next one's another one that's been around uh they're maybe tweak the it sounds like they just the more part of this one is that the original power so it's power max three so roundup power max three it's that newer high load which has 4.8 pounds acre equivalent um and this i don't know bill and matt you guys would probably agree like that part in Roundup, and maybe in the last two years now, I'm just used to it. But for the like, they used to be so much easier. You just knew it was a court rate. Right. Now it's like, yep. well, right. what, which one is it? What load of Roundup are you using? Yep. You know, and then you just got to go through it. And I, and, a, and a lot of times you end up writing like, you know, the equivalent to this in whatever one you're using. But it's nice having lower use rates. So this one now, Parmex three is a twenty to twenty two fluid ounces rate. And basically, they're also saying the original PowerMax is being phased out. So this kind of PowerMax 3 is basically the, you know, what the, the specific branded prime. We're still going to have generics that are the old rate. But it is one thing, though, just to watch your your pounds of acre equivalent in herbicide load when you're using these. Next new one is Cert. I'm not sure if it's certain or certain, but I think it's certain. Is a new premix in uh, solid encapsulation formulation, so it's kind of a new formulation, and um, it's going to be pre or post to V3 applications in field corn, and it'll provide residual control of large and small seed broadleaves. So this one's pretty new that I don't have a lot of. Um, info on this one because it's just that it's possible registration in 2024. So kind of a new one from BASF. So you're not certain it's not coming certain out yet. yet. Yeah. So bug your BASF rep. Maybe you can get a little uh, trial product or something this year to throw out there if it gets registered. Next one's a new premix from Syngenta Tendovo in... This one is for soybeans. It's metulicor, metribuzin, and first rate. 
which kind of doesn't seem like a bad no. pre-mix at all. I feel like, like we touched on this when they first announced it. I believe a bit. we talked about it yeah. and kind of said this was ones where like we chuck them all together anyway. Right. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, how it does. And it's one and a half to 2.1 quarts per acre kind of a rate. And yeah, like we said, it's a kind of a product that, that this one is, like you say, it's, it is registered for use. So um, one that you can get. Wrapping it up with uh, the the another sort of new. This one would be the the new actual specific herb, like an actual chemistry that's pending. It's a new novel herbicide pending approval. So it's called Rapidacil. Sounds to me like a this Rapidacil sounds like some sort of medicine. Medicine, yes. Yeah. Like side effects of Rapidacil include death, death, death of weeds, and more death. <laughs> So Valent is submitting applications for this Rapidacil, which is Eprefenacil is the chemical name. And basically it's a new PPO herbicide. So a lot of PPOs seem to be this sort of last push that we're seeing a lot more new ones of. So kind of the be used for control of broadleaves kind of takes control maybe a little bit on grasses but don't know a lot about it yet but kind of the PPOs we've had around it's just this will be a new novel herbicide in those one last change is kyber which if you remember talking about that it's a pre for beans um basically is now fierce mtz so the it, Kyber was a Corteva product, I believe, and I'm not sure if Corteva sold it or how it, but now um, Fierce MTZ, which is, uh, who has Maverick? Valent. Val- yeah. So Valent has that product. So kind of some changes that way, but but yeah, that, and this list is somewhat exhaustive of the changes. So I don't, I mean, obviously there's other differences, there's other changes, but you can see there's not, a lot of new stuff so that in the weed control world that tells us that you know and and we gotta we should thank our chemists every day for all the the new stuff they are providing and all the tools they have in our toolbox but it also shows us that we gotta really make sure we protect and use the tools we have properly so if you think of your toolbox i mean we already have the hammer we already have you know all the wrenches, all the the basics that you'd get in that sort of 50 or 80 piece set from Fleet Farm. What we're getting now is sort of these maybe specialized tool that you use once a year that... It's your snap-on guy talking, yeah. stopping out at the farm, yep. making you walk into the truck. Yep. Giving you some special tool out of his truck that's worth a whole bunch of money, but you're going to use it once. And that, that one time you use it, you're like, I'm glad I had that one tool. But that's that's where we're at right now with, with herbicides. So... Make sure you use the tools we have properly. Make sure we're trying to steward them and and do our best to prevent any sort of herbicide resistance. All right. So there you go. There's your rundown of chemistries and what to expect for 2024. Now let's move into our spotlight for today. So for 2024, the... Land prices may continue to ride high, as we've seen in Iowa and other states where record land sales have happened. And so 2024 land influencers for 
different regions. And no, they're not on TikTok. They're not making uh, challenges or anything for, for videos. This is states that are influencing their region as far as their effect on prices. So looking across the country, you've probably seen uh, the fact that there's some pretty crazy stuff going on with land sales in, in different parts of the country. I know Iowa is the one I seem to pay attention to most because, one, it's the Grundy County auction, uh, so it goes with the song, but two, it's a pretty close state to us, so it's interesting to see how their market's behaving. Uh, so this article basically breaks down different regions and, and who's kind of their, their biggest one. So um, the Great Lakes region... That's kind of kind of where we, we sit. They don't have a a specific one, but through the Corn Belt, it's Illinois, Indiana. Um, I think Iowa, to an extent, are the ones that are really impacting our immediate area. When you look at how how land prices are shifting, uh, I'm glad we're not out in the West Coast because, according to the map here, cropland values in California, fifteen thousand eight eighty is like the average. You. So, and one one thing to note is there's a percent change on this USDA land values from 2020 to 2023, and yeah, in California it hasn't changed that it's 20 23 percent up, but yep. it's still like you say very high. In Wisconsin, we're at a 40 percent kind yeah. of Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, kind of all hanging around that 40 percent change, and then you go sort of Michigan. Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, kind of around 30%. And then one crazy one is Kansas. Can, yeah, Kansas, Nebraska. Are at, yeah, at really Kansas jumped. 65% and Nebraska at 56%. So you get those are just these, yeah, bigger changes than, so I'm not sure if their land was sort of undervalued and now it's just where it should be or if it's quite overvalued at this point. Um, and then kind of the low end, you get you go down into like, Louisiana, Alabama, that area, and you got 10%. So kind of an interesting change there where, you know, different regions jumped by some of them by quite a bit and, and some sort of kind of this moderate range. So it wasn't like the whole United States jumped. Right. No, it's well, the whole re- United regional, States did jump. Yes. Up, but some but, significant. But regional more. shifting is yeah. impacting it a lot more. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it would be something to continue watching as – you know, if you're looking to acquire new land, why uh, inflation and other things that you would expect to have a impact maybe are behaving differently than you thought. So, all right, now let's move into our ag history minute. So today we're going to talk about Alfred Reader. Uh, last week we talked about winter hardiness zones and how ours have shifted. And today we're discussing this particular gentleman who helped create the idea of winter hardiness zones. So George Alfred Reeder was born in a castle in Waldenburg to Thekla, who was born Schmidt, and Paul Julius Reeder, the superintendent of parks and gardens of the Principality of Schonberg-Waldenburg. Though his father, or through his father, Reeder was introduced to gardening as a profession, on his mother's side of the family, Reader was likely descended from Henry, the Duke of Anhalt-Kolten. 
Reeder broke off his attendance at the gymnasium in Zwickau in 1881 and did not pursue university studies. Instead, began working for three years as an apprentice under the tutelage of his father. His professional career began in 1884 at the Berlin Botanical Gardens. In 1888, Reeder accepted an appointment as head gardener at the Darmstadt Botanical Garden. He then moved to the Gottingen Botanical Garden, where he was head gardener from 1889 to 1895. In 1898, he was assigned by the Deutsche Gartner Zeitung to travel to the United States and study woody plants and orchids. The German government also asked him to research American grape species, known to be resistance to grape phylloxera, that were threatening to infest German vineyards and destroy the wine industry. He undertook research at the Arnold Arboretum, which, if you remember from last week, that was where these ideas kind of stemmed out. And he here he came to the attention of the director, Charles Sprague Sargent, who quickly recognized Reader's abilities and persuaded him to stay at the Arboretum and work on the comprehensive study of woody plants. Reader became a naturalized citizen of America in 1904, but maintained his ties with Germany. During World War I, he was subject to surveillance by the Bureau of Investigation. Collaborating closely with Charles Sprague Sargent, Reader launched the Journal of the Arnold Arboretum, which, was, which appeared quarterly from 1919 to 1990. The journal had a particular focus on dendrology, but also covered other botanical fields. Reader created the first system of isothermic zones for the United States that re- related average winter minimum temperatures to the hardiness of specific plants. The system, along with another developed by Waldemir Köppen, is the basis for the USDA hardiness zone maps in use today. So That was a mouthful, Matt. It was. A lot of, ger- <laughs> yes. a lot of nice German words You did in well there. with that. <laughs> I wasn't sure. How'd you do? It's the German in me, I guess. It's quite quite a life though, born in a castle. And this Waldenberg Castle is no yeah, there's no shack. It was a real <laughs> yeah, life real. castle. Was in in World War II this castle was destroyed and then they kind of rebuilt it back up. So kind of a neat start, and then you yeah, you're naturalized citizen, but then World War Two breaks out World War One, excuse me, and they're watching you here. Yep, no, the same thing happened in World War Two, so it's not a not an uncommon thing when right. you're fighting against other countries. Right. But for him to come here and create those zones and kind of all the the really neat botany things that he did was, was really cool. Good. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. All you need to do is search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or on your Android phone, use Google Podcasts or Podcast Addict. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tilthag.com slash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and X at Tilth Talk Radio. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll move into our Cool Beans. That's corny with some current events. So Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Our Cool Beans this week. Growmark is planning to pilot interplants fluorescent soybeans. So with a three-year pilot, Growmark and Interplant will put out plots on InnerSoy, the startup's first commercial product. InnerSoy are beans engineered to fluoresce when under attack from fungus. So now we'll be able to scout fields really easy because they'll just glow. 
and we'll know there's a problem. <laughs> we'll be scouting at night now. Yes, yes. night scouting will be uh, more of a thing. So in 2024, Growmark will establish sentinel locations for its inner soy plots to provide early warning of disease infestations near production soybean farms. The goal is twofold, provide precision scouting and improved agronomic intelligence. So Growmark's focus is on providing farmers with the tools they need to efficiently and sustainably feed the world, uh, which makes them an ideal partner for our in-field plot, according to Dan Garblick, Interplant Senior Vice President of Operations and Finance. So InterSoy is genetically engineered to emit signals when stressed, which are detectable from as far away as space. The company says its products can show stress signals two weeks before current detection methods. Growmark says this pilot layers with other related technologies and is gaining experience with such things as spore cams, remote sensing, and manual in-field scouting. So it'd be interesting to... We'll get soybean pictures from space now, I guess, because they'll be glowing. It'd be interesting to see where that goes. It's... To me, what this sounds like is it's not something all the soybeans will have, but you'd pl- plant like a small area of them as your indicator. That's true, right. right? That's a good point. It'd be like a refuge, maybe type thing where you'd have them scattered. Yeah, throughout. yeah. I was picturing the whole field, man, like and that. then I was picturing like neighbors driving by and be like, hey, "Look at that idiot! His beans, <laughs> his, his beans are attacked by fungus. fungus. So they're glowing." <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this really. Yes, I almost like no. marker plants. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a neat thing, though, yeah. All right, our That's Corny this week. It's so dry in Brazil. Oh, come on, How guys. How dry is it? There we go. Some farmers have replanted soybeans three or four times. I appreciate the level of, like, disdain <laughs> yes, you that was like a, There was anger and disgust <laughs> in oh, that. He wants me to RFI, whatever. Uh <clears throat> So South American weather continues to be a big market mover. Soybean prices sank on Friday. So this is as of December 1st, so it would have been uh, a couple weeks ago. Due to forecast for possible rain in Brazil. So uh, they've got this drought going on in northern Brazil. Amazon River is at a record low. Boy, does this sound familiar. Uh, this would need to go on to continue to impact the markets. We've only got 80% of soybean crop in the ground. So we see it today, so we as we think about the future, it's very key, but the month of December into January, weather may determine how bad things get. There, There is what's hard whenever we do articles like this. They have gotten some rain since this, so yep. like just within the last couple of days. They are getting more rain, so <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's still- just one of those deals where you, you don't, like we talked in our drought, all of a sudden you get a rain. Well, who did everybody get it? How, was it enough? Yeah, was it, it enough do? to do impact things? Yeah. So, so yeah, you might see, you know, a lot of markets right now are, are kind of jumping around because of this, because they're now they're trying to figure out how, you know, what that drought will look like. So, yeah, as we well know, weather does affect crops um, greatly at, at times. And I don't know enough about South American. Uh, logistics to know if the Amazon being low, if that'll impact transport of goods. I feel like that's probably not a main thoroughfare because they have ocean around yeah. around Brazil, but I also don't know the exact farming areas of Brazil. So, um, like for us, the Mississippi, when it's low, does impact huge. transportation. It's huge. It's huge. Yes, it's it's very huge. huge. So, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And um, obviously, yeah, we're not the only ones that experience some wacky weather. Other agricultural places see it too. And now we'll wrap things up with our Field Good Friday. So a new gene discovery will help combat soybean cyst nematode. Sweet. Woo-hoo. So for the fa- past four years, a team of researchers at the University of Georgia and the University of Missouri, along with USDA, have committed their time to discovery of the GM SNAP-02 gene in soybeans. I love that name of it, too. Oh, SNAP. SNAP. SNAP beans. I thought that was a whole different thing. Uh, What does this mean for farmers? Well, the costliest pest in the U.S. for soybeans. Uh, This breakthrough means that there will finally be options to develop new soybean varieties with enhanced SCN resistance. The overuse of known resistant genes and limited control options have amplified SCN-related losses to the tune of billions of dollars every year. So this team of researchers used CRISPR, uh, genome editing, editing technology, to detect resistance to SCN in edited plants. So they can be more precise with their measurements. What's exciting is their discovery has not only identified a new resistance gene, but gene editing amenable resistance gene, which opens the door for CRISPR to be used to make it easier and potentially faster for breeders to develop soybean cultivars with enhanced resistance. So this gene has also given researchers new insight into how SCN overcomes genetic resistance. So overall, all positive things that could help the future of soybeans and soybean cyst nematode management. Like we talked about on some of the early podcasts, this is a big deal. I mean, it, it, SCN is the the silent killer of soybean yields that you know you can't really see, and unless you test for it, you've you don't pick up on it, so uh, it's good to see there's a positive path forward. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked about some chemistry updates and what to expect moving forward into the next year for chemical options. In our spotlight, we took a look at how land value influencers, as in states, not people on TikTok, are impacting land prices in our area. Ag History Minute, we talked to Alfred Reeder, who helped develop winter hardiness zones and was born in a castle, which is pretty cool. Cool beans this week. Growmark's interplant soybeans will fluoresce when under attack by fungus, so it may give us early indicators of disease issues. That's corny this week. So dry in Brazil that they've had to replant three to four times for soybeans and continue to see weather issues. And our Field Good Friday, new gene discovery will help combat soybean cyst nematode. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. Happy farming.